being a part of today's worship. Let me just remind you, uh, and I'm going to have Scott put up my number in just a second, but if you would uh, do me the favor and just text me and say, hey, Pastor Randy, um, came for the first time, second time, third time, whatever it is, um, and I will shoot you back a gift card uh, for Starbucks. I say it's the best thing ever because you get a free coffee from me and don't actually have to spend time with me, which is just awesome. So uh, definitely text me. I'll shoot you that gift card. It's our way uh, from EHC just saying thanks for being here. Thanks for taking some time. Coffee's on us. And hopefully, prayerfully, you'll come back and be with us once again. If you don't know, we are in the Soundtrack of the Season teaching series, and we're going through that right now. Uh, We're going to go ahead and watch uh, a video that gives a backstory on on one of the songs that you've sung probably for years but did not know much about its backstory and then we'll go preaching from there. So let's check out this video. Have you ever noticed that there is a soundtrack to the Christmas season? Most of us spend all of our lives listening to the same songs from the day after Thanksgiving until about December 26th every single year. Our new favorite artist simply revisit the same songs over and over and we don't even get tired of them. But rarely do we think about where these songs came from, their backstories, or about the deeper meaning behind them. Many of these songs of the season point to powerful theological insights and practical lessons that can deepen us or even bring us joy in the midst of the Christmas season. So let's look a little deeper into some of the famous Christmas carols that you know and love. Silent Night, words by Joseph Moore and Melody by Hans Gruber. It was Christmas Eve in the small town of Oberndorf, Austria in 1888. The local priest, a man named Father Joseph Moore, began early cleaning the sanctuary at St. Nicholas's Catholic Church in preparation for the midnight mass on Christmas Eve. But as Father Moore went about his preparations, he realized that something was wrong, and whatever he would try, he could not make the organ play. He tried everything to repair it, but because of the extreme cold of the Austrian winter, the pipes and bellows and stops on the organ simply would not cooperate. No matter what he did, he could not make the organ work, and he knew that the Christmas Eve service that was scheduled for a few hours from his discovery was threatened because there would be no music performed at one of the most important services of the entire year. Faced with the prospect of having no music for the very special Christmas Eve service, Father Moore prayed for inspiration. He knew he needed something for music, but that was when the thought hit him. His mind returned to a day into winter two years before when he had written a poem of six stanzas after a winter's walk near his grandfather's home. Joseph Moore brought the poem out of his desk and as he reread those words that he had written two years before, his eyes must have grown wide. It seemed that they were almost prophetic and written for the very trial and problem that he was now facing this Christmas Eve. He read the words that we now know as the lyrics to Silent Night. Here are a few of the stanzas that must have seemed prophetic and God-breathed, considering his current predicament. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep 
in heavenly peace. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. After rereading the poem, Father Moore knew that it had potential to be much more than what it was, and so he hurried to his colleague and friend's house, a man whose name was Franz Gruber. Franz Gruber played the organ regularly at St. Nicholas Church, and Father Moore informed him that the problems that they were having at the church would prevent the organ from being used during the Christmas Eve service. Father Moore then instead suggested that if Franz Gruber was willing to do so, he could play a simple melody on the guitar and allow the church choir to sing the words from his two-year-old poem that he had entitled at that time, Stille Nock Heilig Nock, Silent Night, Holy Night. Franz Gruber was excited at the challenge and quickly put together a very simple melody that seemed to fit the words and the mood of the music perfectly. As Gruber played the melody on the guitar for Father Moore, they both grew excited to teach the new songs to the parishioners who were scheduled to come for a brief choir practice in just a matter of hours. And that evening, taught by Father Moore and Franz Gruber in a small town in Oberndorf, Austria, the choir performed the simple yet powerful song, Stille Nacht, Heilig Nacht, the song that we now know as Silent Night. The very first time to a small but very appreciative and enthralled congregation, Silent Night was clearly a very special song. A few weeks later, a man who traveled from town to town to install, tune, and fix broken organs in the various churches around Austria visited St. Nicholas's church to fix the organ. As he worked on it, Father Moore told him of the song that was written and the way that they were able to have beautiful music even as the part of the Christmas Eve service, despite those problems that they had faced with the church's organ. When the traveling musical mechanic heard the story, he wanted to hear the song. So Father Moore sang the song so he could get a sense of not only the lyrics but also the simplicity and power of the Christmas carol. As this organ technician continued to travel from town to town and from church to church, he would share the amazing story of the song, Silent Night. Eventually the story and the song made it to the ears of a few of the traveling families who at that time would go from town to town performing songs in various churches. The Stassers were such a family, and they heard the story and learned the song and made it a part of their Christmas time performances beginning in the year 1832. Eventually, they performed this new Christmas carol in a show in the city of Leipzig, where Prince William IV of Prussia was in attendance. He enjoyed the Christmas carol so much that he requested that his National Cathedral Choir learn and perform Silent Night and made this Christmas carol even that much more popular. Eventually, Silent Night would make its way into Great Britain and then across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States. And then during the Civil War, a war that was truly a war between brothers, there would be four-day ceasefires beginning on Christmas Day as men from both the Confederate and Union armies would come into the area between the two battle lines 
exchange small gifts, say prayers together, and sing Christmas carols. And those Christmas carols almost always included the song, Silent Night. By the end of the Civil War, Silent Night was the most popular Christmas carol in the United States. By the late 1800s, the carol had been translated into 20 languages. And in 1905, the Haydn Quartet became the first ones to ever record the song Silent Night. But by the 1960s, Silent Night was recognized as the most recorded song in human history. The words no doubt have impacted human history, but perhaps the third verse captures most what Silent Night is really all about. It says, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, Love's pure light, Radiant beams from thy holy face, With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So miraculously, a song that likely should have been lost to history, one born in the tiny town of Oberndorf, Austria, a song come together just in time to save a church's Christmas Eve service, became the most recorded song in history. This simple, direct song of praise still has a way of encouraging us, calling us, even in modern times. It challenges us to strip away the busyness and the frantic feelings that envelop us all year long and instead opt for being still and knowing that He is God. To enjoy the peace that silence brings to the human heart when we know that we are focusing on the real reason God sent His Son so that we might experience the dawn of redeeming grace in our own world, but also personally in our individual lives as well. And it all began long ago on a holy and silent night. All right. Well, now you have a little bit of the backstory of Silent Night. I don't know if that's brand new news to you guys, but for some of you, probably as we've been going through these soundtracks of the seasons and the backstory for each one, uh, probably the biggest blessing that you've received is hearing me speak languages that I have no idea how I'm supposed to say things. Can I get an amen? I mean, last week it was French, uh, and I literally had Haitians here, and they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> thank you guys for being kind. Y'all were very forgiving, I promise. I appreciate that. But Sabrina wasn't that forgiving, I'm not going to lie. She was pretty rough on me. She was like, uh, at best, a C minus. That's what she said. So um, I don't know, if, is Austrian even a language, or was it just German that they speak? But it sounded like German to me today. Uh, I gave it a shot, so I'm sorry. I also want to apologize for this. Did you guys notice that I had the, the name Hans Gruber and Franz Gruber like all flooding in at different times? Some of y'all may have noticed that. I realized that Hans Gruber or Franz Gruber, one of them wrote the music for Silent Night and one of them is the, the bad guy on Die Hard. That's true. That's serious. I'm not kidding. So <laughs> I'll let y'all figure that out. I don't know. The, the great Christmas classic Die Hard. Uh, some of y'all are smiling. Okay. All right. How many of you guys are traveling this year to go see somebody, even if it's just across the city, all of, going around? I've been considering a small little um, uh, time uh, on the road myself, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let's begin. Um, sometimes it can be a little confusing. 
I don't know if you guys know, but let me show you a calendar real quick. This is today. It's not January. It's December. It's Sunday the 11th, and then you go next week, and next Wednesday will be December 21st. Do any of you guys know? Of course you know Christmas Eve is Saturday and Christmas Day is Sunday this year. Um, And yes, my anniversary is one week away. Uh, And then Tori's birthday happens three times. I think Tori put those all three in there. Thank you for singing, by the way, baby. Um, But yes, uh, the 21st. Do any of you guys know what December 21st is? Don't, Don't yell it out, but how many of you know what December 21st is? Any of you? Kim, Kim, you're like, I'm smart, but I don't want people to know, so I'm just going to kind of quietly. It is the winter solstice. Very good. Now, explain to me what, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm going to do this, all right? The winter solstice is the shortest day of the calendar year when it comes to the amount of sunlight. The summer solstice happens in June, uh, about the 21st in June, And that is the longest day of the year uh, as far as sunlight goes. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Have y'all been noticing that it feels like it's 9.30 when it's about 6 o'clock? Or is that just because I'm old? Maybe a little of both? Okay, all right, maybe a little of both. I get it. I, I, I can accept that. As I was saying, I'm thinking about taking a small little road trip, and I thought I'd map it out on the, uh, on the Google machine, so it's here next to, uh, on this next slide. Let's check it out. Yeah, I'm going to go from Houston up to Anchorage, Alaska. It should only take about 68 hours and 48 minutes. I figure I'll probably skip a few bathroom breaks, and I'll lop off a bunch of time. Shouldn't be a problem. 68 hours. Can you imagine driving? We have some folks here today. I I don't necessarily know. Are y'all going to Anchorage? Yes. Okay. You're not crazy enough to drive. So this is kind of a joke here. But you are going at one of the coldest times of the year. And you guys are from Houston. So we need to give you a coat or something before you guys go. (laughs) The deans are going to be going and visiting family. But, you know, family... Like, that's where where you go. You know, you go to see the family and all that stuff. But here's the deal. We think our winter evenings are short, and they're getting short now. I'm telling you, in, in Alaska, it's really, really crazy. If you did not know, Anchorage, Alaska, the summer solstice that day of the year lasts 19 hours and 21 minutes of sunshine. And I've heard that even then it's kind of twilighty. Is that, is that right? I've got a couple of Alaskan experts here. I'm learning things. We're learning things together. But here's the problem. Yes, it is hot down here in Houston, but in Anchorage, Alaska, during the shortest day of the year, they have five hours and 27 minutes of sunlight on one day. That is the shortest day of the year in Anchorage, Alaska. That's going to be happening when you guys are there. It's like dusk, so it's not even good sunlight is what you're saying. (laughs) Okay, so around here, the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, is 14 hours and three minutes. That seems like a lot, and I'm down for that. But have you guys noticed? Okay, so start thinking in your mind. You all know where I'm going. I'm about to talk about the shortest day of the year, which is going to happen in the next week and a half. Think about how much shorter this day that's coming up is going to be than the longest day Here it comes. The shortest one is, let me see here. Oh, um, 
it is about three hours and 49 minutes shorter. Three hours and 49 minutes shorter than the longest day of the year. Let me ask you a question. Is that surprising to y'all? Did you realize it was four hours difference between the longest day and the shortest day of the year? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I did not realize it. It feels like I know it after it's been happening a while, but I don't feel it as it's coming on. Have you guys kind of experienced it in that same way? To those walking in darkness, a great light has come. And I have a feeling that for most of the people that were walking in darkness, they didn't realize how dark things were until they stopped to think about it. By the way, if you are in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the shortest day of the year is nine hours and four minutes. So you're glad to be home for lots of reasons. Shelly's cooking notwithstanding, right? Here's the truth. We don't really grasp how dark things have gotten in our lives sometimes until it's already... Like, take a minute, slow down, where am I at, what am I seeing, what am I not seeing? And the truth of the matter is, is that the the time when Jesus stepped out of eternity and into this world, it was a pretty dark place. And I want to talk about the darkness that was there. And really quickly, this is our something to learn today. If you can walk away from this uh, knowing something, this is it. Let's go to our next slide. The New Testament opens on a dark place. It's spiritually been 400 silent years between the ending of the Old Testament and the works that are going on at the very beginning of the New Testament. And so there are 400 silent years that happen in that space that are not talked about But they are experienced. That literally means generations of people have come and gone and not heard from God on a grand scale. And that's a powerful thing to think about the absence of for 400 years. Physically, the New Testament world that we see Jesus being born into is a dark place. It's a a world of firelight. And as much as I love a romantic dinner by candlelight, I'm not sure exactly what I'm eating sometimes because the candlelight is not exactly as bright as I need it to be, right? Why? Because it just doesn't carry the same level of oomph that an electric light does. And think about this. It was a very, very dark place. And when those short nights of the winter came along, there was really not a lot to dispel that darkness. And I don't know about you, but probably like them and probably like you and me today, The shorter the days, the darkness can kind of find you and kind of creep in a little bit and almost make you feel a little less energetic and a little less down uh, to do things and all of that. And so let's talk about this also. The New Testament opens in a dark place spiritually, physically, but also personally because the New Testament world wasn't exactly a world where there was a lot of hope or opportunity for change. You see, one of the great things about modern man is that we've expanded and in so many ways we've got opportunities in dramatic ways different than even a couple of years before, uh, before the internet age and all of that stuff, before uh, even then uh, the, the education revolution that's come about. There's so much that you can do to change your path in life no matter what, but in that time, There was not only just the the lack of these things, but there was also clearly a kind of a caste system where you were were born poor, you were likely going to stay poor. You were born in the working class, you were going to stay in the working class. You were born in the upper class, you probably couldn't get tossed out of there very easily. 
And so it was not really a world where hope was just everywhere to be found. And that can mean a dark place and a dark world and a dark soul to go right along with it. And so in the midst of when Jesus steps out, and as Silent Night describes it, is the dawn of redeeming grace for this world. It is a powerful thing that changes everything. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today, and I want to refer to the story that we find in the Magi's visit in Matthew chapter 2. I'll be referring to it, and then we'll be sharing a couple of selected passages from it. But if you remember what the Bible, the Bible says in Matthew 2, and if you'd like to grab your app or if you'd like to follow along, feel free. But basically, the wise men come and they say, we have seen the star that has drawn us to this place when we were in the east. And we've come all of this way so that we might be able to worship the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, we remember this story because he goes, these, these wise men, they go and they get to the, the palace in Jerusalem. And who do they find there but a man named King Herod. And if you even heard the name before, you probably know that this guy is clearly carrying the bad guy banner of this entire story. He is an awful, awful human being, and he is about to do awful, awful things. And in the midst of all that's going on, you almost kind of hear that backing track of the dun-dun-dun, it's King Herod walking in, you know, it's the deep foreboding music. He is just that kind of guy. But these wise men don't know that he is a terrible individual and a guy who will maintain power, even if it means killing his own children or his own wife, which, by the way, he killed three of his sons and one of his wives. So he's got no qualms at all about murdering to make sure that he stays in control. They don't know this. They come to him and they say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? And by the way, as is once told in a book, if you're sitting on a throne and somebody asks, where's the one who's been born the king? <laughs> you're probably not real happy about hearing those words. You're like, you're talking to him, brother. Like, you're looking at him. I mean, who do you think's sitting on a throne? It's me. You're talking to the king. But he's about to get nudged out of the center of this story by a little bitty baby being born on the backside of nowhere in a town called Bethlehem. And Herod says, well, I tell you what I want you guys to do. I'm really excited about worshiping him just like you guys are. So you go and find him. And then when you found him, come back and tell me. And then I'll take my entourage and I'll go worship him as well because he's really important to me too. And you guys all know, again, the dun-dun-dun. Not at all interested in worshiping Christ. Very interested in making sure that the guy on the throne stays on the throne, right? And so as we see this story kind of panning out, we know that the star is leading the wise men in amazing and incredible ways. We'll talk about that in just a second. But as we know that the star leads them to the place where Jesus was in a house at this time in his life, as they walk into the house, they see a baby with the mother and the father, and they bow down and they worship him. They give him gifts. This is where the whole idea of Christmas being a season of giving comes from and begins. They give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then the Bible says, being warned in a dream, they go back a different direction. Herod realizes what's happened, 
And he is so angry that he goes and he literally ends up killing every child in their second year, every baby boy, second year and under in the area of Bethlehem. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well in just a few moments. Well, we know what the Wiseman Bible study, if you were a part of that, uh, the Wiseman Bible study, we covered a lot of this ground. This was some of the stuff, and I just grabbed this because it would be something you could see. But here's what we know. As we look at this picture, you can see the picture and the image of the star in the upper right-hand corner. It is definitely a season of light that we celebrate. If you have a Christmas tree, I can almost guarantee that that thing needs to be plugged in, not to keep it alive, but because it's got lights all around it. It's probably got a star that lights up at night. This is just the way that things are. And even if you're from Houston, Texas, man, go and wrap that live oak tree with, uh, with lights. I mean, it looks incredible. We love it. It's just a season of light. And we come back to what Tori read just before we sang the song about the baby being born, that those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now, I want to just slow down just a minute and ask you the question. Is it possible for you and for me that in the midst of a season of joy and a season where it's easier to see God's influence in our world than maybe ever before, that in the midst of it all, we still are feeling a little like darkness is finding its way more and more into our hearts. Because the truth is, is that this can be a difficult season for some people. You've lost folks. The life that you thought you'd be living at this point is not the same. The last couple of years have been absolutely crazy. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, we don't even know exactly where our feet are standing sometimes because of all that's happened. And so you start thinking about all this stuff, and it can be a bit overwhelming. And it can be stuff that's out there that starts finding its way in here. And worst of all, in here. What I want to share with you in this few moments that we have together is the idea and the concept of if you are walking in darkness, don't forget to turn towards the one that came to be the great light, the one who began the dawn of redeeming grace, the one who changes the darkness of a heart and soul from that feeling of dread and fear to hope and expectation and most of all, joy. Like that is all possible. That's all still on the table no matter what is going on out there because we have a Savior that has come to our world to change every one of our worlds and our own worlds, if that makes sense. It's not just our world, but it's your world. It's my world. It's your world that's got your kids and your parents and your siblings in it. And my world that's got my kids and my parents and my siblings in it. All of that stuff. All of those things that you know have to change for your heart and your mind to change. But it is possible because of the dawn of redeeming grace. Can I get an amen, right? Amen. It is possible. And I want to talk with you and encourage you and challenge you if today, especially, it's been a little uh, dark where you are. 
All right, very quickly, I want to remind you who Jesus is, and we'll talk about the big idea very quickly. There is a man named Simeon who the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 that he was spending time in the, the sanctuary in the temple waiting for God to show the Messiah to him. And he had talked to him and said, I'm not going to let you die until you've actually beheld physically the Messiah. And then Mary comes in one day when Jesus is about eight days old. They're there to circumcise the child. And in the midst of it all, as they're walking in, if you'll allow me a little bit of creative license, because it doesn't say this, but I can almost see, like, have y'all ever had a a grandparent, uh, somebody older, like, intercept your child when they were really young? Like, you're like, what are you doing? You know, you got my baby. You took off with it. Have any of y'all ever had that happen? Have any of y'all ever done that? Can I, a couple of y'all are like, well, maybe, maybe. Um, so what happens, I can almost see Mary walking in with this baby boy and Joseph walking alongside of her, probably scared to death because I was afraid that I was going to break my first child. And so as she walks in, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, just like you promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And then read this part that's underlined with me from verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. By the way, that's us. And the glory of your people, Israel, a light for revelation. In other words, when God knew that we were living and dealing with the dark world, he sent the very thing that we needed most. We needed a light. So here is the big idea very quickly. The big idea is that Christ's birth means a light has come into our darkness. If I could do it, I would have put it a different way, to be honest. I I think this is the right way, but what I wish I could have said is Christ's birth means a light has come into my darkness. And that you would be able to say the same. Whether that's darkness of discouragement or darkness of feeling that you are not forgiven or darkness of feeling uh, some sort of alienation from God or on and on and on the list could go. Frustrations with family, difficulties that you've got. I don't know what it is, but I do know that for all of us, a light has come into your darkness, into my darkness. And so all things are possible because he stepped into my world to change my heart and also to change my world. And I encourage you to live in light of that. On the count of three, would you guys read this aloud with me? We do this all the time for the big idea. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Christ's birth means a light has come into our darkness. Here's how that plays out. Very quickly, this is the list of how things are playing out uh, uh, having to do with the big idea. Let's go to our next slide. It's the dawn of redeeming grace, as we mentioned, and grace is basically just defined as unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. God gave it anyway because it was unmerited, but yet it was favor. And then we talk about how he was the redeemer The dawn of redeeming grace. Redeem means to buy back. Not just our souls, but also even our past and our present. That means those things which seem to be worthless and... I don't know the right word, but it's... We want it to be here and it just isn't. 
We want it to be good, and it's just not. We want our world and our relationships and our friendships and our relationship with God and all of these different things. We want our surroundings and the things that we know and the people that we encounter. We want all of that to be good and positive. And sometimes it's just not. It's hard and harsh and abrasive and awkward and difficult and hurtful and all of these different things. The incredible thing is, is that that's what God came to buy back, our past and our present. And I know that sounds crazy, but think about it, man. Why do we wear crosses around our necks? Because God bought back a symbol of death because he conquered death. He bought it back. He redeemed it. You guys, can I get an amen, right? And so if you have something that feels like it's irredeemable, that does not mean it's irredeemable. It means like it feels like that. But it can be redeemed because he is the one who is the dawn of redeeming grace, not just for our souls, but for our whole lives. That's how this plays out. So very quickly, let's talk about the wise men's actions on a couple of uh, these things that we've talked about, and we'll talk very quickly. So this is a condensing of Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 15. Herod calls the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then a little further down, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Very quickly... Here's what I want to do. Alicia, I'm just going to go a little further so I don't uh, go too long. When darkness is growing, there's three things that I want to talk about, and I'm going to hit these quickly. When darkness is growing, here's the first thing that I would recommend. Um, Go where you know he speaks to you. I shared this with you last week, but it is still... Great advice. I'm not looking to be original. I'm looking to be effective, okay? So if you remember this from last week, even better. It's still the same thing. When darkness is growing in your own life and in your own heart, you go where you know that God is speaking to you. That's unfiltered scripture. And that's with a trusted and uninvested friend who can give you godly counsel. And they will be They will be uh, loving enough to give you a hard truth, even if it's not what you want to hear, but it could change your life. So when darkness is growing, you go where you know that God is still speaking to you. Let's go to our next slide. Secondly, you make the effort that you know is needed. Make choices that you're proud of, even if it's hard. So you make the effort you know is needed, making choices you're proud of, even if it's hard. Let's go to our next slide here, and I want to talk a little bit about this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What's going on here? We're talking about the wise men. First of all, let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer, and I prefer that you don't. But I don't know about you, but a few years back, I I remembered how much I used to love Christmas, and I realized how much joy had leaked out of Christmas for me. 
I don't know if any of you guys can identify. I, and, and it wasn't just that there was a lot of gifts when I was young and I was all into that and I was all about that. I know I'm a terrible person. I know all of y'all weren't when you were teenagers. You weren't about the gifts at all, right? Okay. Well, you know what I'm saying. Even as I got a little older, I started loving Christmas for a different reason. But then somewhere along the line, the joy kind of leaked out a little bit and it just seemed like it wasn't quite the same. And I think about these men that traveled so far and I see here that they were overjoyed, but I noticed that worship and giving to others was a part of what they did. And I don't think it's a, a coincidence. If Christmas has become about getting or even giving by obligation rather than from a heart of love and joy, then you're probably going to be missing the joy. If you fall out of the worship part of Christmas, it's probably not going to feel very joyful. And would I just, if you would allow me, I'll say something else. Some of us are just too dang busy to enjoy stuff the way we used to. And that's our own fault, not anybody else's. I didn't get an amen, I, but I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Can I get an amen? I mean, sometimes it's me. It's me that's sucking the joy out of my own life because I will not give space for what's important and I will not give space for God to speak. And when that happens and I'm lacking the joy, I'm the one who's at fault. And he's still the answer that brings it back. So very quickly, let me just talk with you, and I, I want to share this with you. I want to challenge you with something. Let's go to our next slide. I know this seems a little out of place, but this book called Hyperfocus, I've shared with you guys in the teaching series called Headspace, Volume 1 and 2. Technology speeds up time and tempting us in our moments to fill our attention to the brim. This leads us to remember less because it's only when we pay attention to something deeply that our brain actively encodes it into memory. Can I tell you what this means? This means that if you spend the next couple of weeks with your family there and you here, you will miss a lot of the joy that comes from all of this and it will feel like, a, like family time light. <laughs> half the calories, half the nutritional value. Half the joy, half the memories, all because you have chosen to put something else in the midst of what you're doing, and it's still a choice. And you may say, well, Randy, I got to have that for my, for my job. I get it. Can I just make a recommendation? Leave it over there and go check it on every hour on the hour, and then go back away from it and give your absolute undivided attention and your very best to the kids that you might not see again for a little while, to the grandkids that you won't ever be able to celebrate their second or third or fourth or fifth Christmas ever again with them. And put this away and let this heart be something that connects to those people. And in the midst of it all, let God remind you that sometimes silence is needed for us to actually worship, connect, and be reminded of what's important. It's just my challenge. 
I don't know, if, if Christmas is all that it's, you've been wanting it to be all this time, don't worry about it. But if you're struggling, like some of us are, to get that same feeling and same level of engagement that we used to have, maybe this might be a help to you. All right, let's go to our next slide. Very quickly, we see here, they presented him with gold and gifts of incense and frankincense and myrrh. And then chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 says this, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Just a little mind exercise here. Imagine if they had gone back to Herod, what would have happened? The whole thing would have changed. Not just for the baby and the mother and the father, but also for them. They would have never said, man, what a great trip. What an incredible thing. We, we made the sacrifice, but we're so glad we did. We're glad that we gave of our time, our energy, and all that stuff because this was a memorable experience for the rest of our lives. If they had not listened to God in the midst of it all, it would have been one of the worst and most regretted things they ever had in their life. Do you guys see where I'm going with that? Because the baby would have died. Herod would have gotten after it. I mean, we know that God was going to preserve, but do you understand where I'm going with this? Again, if you cannot hear God's voice, if you're not hearing God's voice in the midst of this incredibly busy and distracting season, you're going to miss the thing that can actually pull you to a place of joy and to a place of enjoyment of this great season. Let's go to our last slide here. So that brings me to this. Don't miss this. The wise men came hundreds of miles without even knowing where Christ was supposed to be born. Jewish scholars, and you don't spell it that way, but <laughs> you know my spell check program is messed up. Jewish scholars did not even pursue Christ even though they knew where he was and he was less than four hours away. Talk about missing the boat because you wouldn't make a small sacrifice. <laughs> Crazy, right? There were people that were looking for the Messiah for all of their life, knew exactly where to find him. People came and told them there was a star, and they didn't even go to go and celebrate the Christ child four hours of their life. Crazy. <laughs> Still happens, though, doesn't it? where we miss all the important stuff for stupid reasons. I had a kid tell me one time, I wanted to go, he was about 19 or 20 years old, he said, I've wanted to go to Austin, Texas all of my life. Because I was telling him at that time, I was like, I'm about to go to Austin, I'm going to see my daughter and visit her and stuff like that. And uh, she was going to school at that time in Austin. And in the midst of it, I said, I'm going to Austin, I'm excited about that. He, oh, I've wanted to go to Austin all my life. I was like, yeah? I said, well, how long have you lived here in Houston? He's like, 23 years or something like that. I was like, bro, you haven't wanted to go to Austin all of your life. You, you're saying that, but that's not true because Austin is three hours away. You can be there and then be back and still get in bed at a decent hour, even for an old guy like me. Like, it's possible. You want to talk about that, but you don't actually want to do what it means to go and experience that. You see where I'm going with this? If we want our world to change, if we want our Christmas to change, if we want our world individually to change, we have to be willing to make some sacrifices, to deal with a little bit of discomfort, and to embrace some of that stuff that we might prefer to put away, but it actually begins to change us from the inside, and it flows 
very quickly. The third thing that I wanted to mention, when darkness is growing, you've got to listen to God's leading every time. Make no excuses, no compromises, and no justifications. Let's go to our next slide. The big questions, is the darkness in your life growing or is it going? I hope it's going, but if it's growing, please pay attention and engage in the things that we're talking about. And then what is the biggest voice in your life right now? I asked this last week as well. Is it your schedule? Is it other people? Is it you that's the biggest voice in your life? Is it the media, uh, the things that you're consuming, whether that be entertainment or information? And then maybe there's something else that's the biggest voice in your life, but in the midst of it all, what is happening is, is that God is being drowned out and he is not being heard. Very quickly, here's the I apply by. What can you do to hear God's voice more in this season? Maybe it's something you practice or commit to or slow down to engage in, and who is in your life that you can be a blessing to but have not. You see, I believe that those men that came have, a, uh, have shown us a way to get close to joy. It says they were overjoyed <laughs> over and over again in their few verses, and it is because they were there to be a blessing, not just simply to receive one, but they had both. Let's go to our next slide. And we're ending today. <laughs> ah, have you ever had this experience where you were watching a, a Christmas movie on Netflix or watching a TV football game or something, and maybe it was in the afternoon? Maybe you turned it on about three or four in the afternoon during kind of the cold winter months and all that stuff. Y'all don't, no, don't be looking. You're, this is old. This is an old one. It's not your fantasy football team either. So just pay attention here. But as you're watching the game, you're so enthralled in the game, so enthralled in the movie, you start watching it at maybe 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock, whatever it is, and then when the movie ends or the football game ends, you look outside and you go, whoa, it got dark really fast. <laughs> Have you ever said those words? It got dark really fast. Can I tell you something? It's not true. Unless you're in Anchorage, Alaska, which you guys will be, unless you're in Anchorage, Alaska, it didn't get dark really fast. It happened slowly, bit by bit, piece by piece, minute by minute, and then you only started paying attention to it when it got overwhelming. Do you see where I'm going with this? In your world and in your life, if the darkness is growing, let's do something about it now rather than waiting until the time where you look around and go, whoa, 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 man, my world got real dark real fast. Because the truth is, is that God came to redeem, to buy back, to change and be the dawn of a brand new day for all of us who have a world that can get dark without him real fast. So I encourage you in this time of year to dedicate yourself once again to the dawn of redeeming grace and the God who came to bring it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you in this time of year. And God, what a blessing it is to know you and to know that ultimately you are our lifeline, that we turn to you because we need you. And it would be easy for us to be proud and to, 
stay away and say, well, I, I, I never really cared about God and should I care about him now? The answer is yes. That's why you came in the first place. And so today, if there's somebody who is engaging in a, in a direction right now that is taking them towards darkness, I just pray that they would know that you are here to be the light. And for all of us walking in darkness, if we will turn to you, we will see a great light. And our lives will be changed. In Jesus' name.